0: All right, as the kids head out, the kids at Grace, where were we? Oh, yes, we're in the book of Exodus, aren't we? Before we get there, have I ever told you about my grandkids? If not, well, how remiss have I been? You know, it's it's kind of interesting because uh, even now, uh, our kids are grown and gone, as most kids tend to do. Um... Even now, I pause in the hallway to our bedroom because on either side of the walls there are pictures of our kids when they were were babies. And I pause there and I look at those pictures and I think once again of how small they were, how precious they were, how fragile they were, how delightful they were, how loud. For such a small child, how loud they were. Now, of course, Nancy and I get to relive it again with grandkids, special, because you can give them back, right? And ours are still small enough to hold and to rock and just to, just to, to dream. You remember these dreams, right? When you hold that precious little bundle, you're thinking, God, what are, what are you going to do with this one? What would their life be like? What will they accomplish? Who will they marry? Where Will they, will they go to school? Will they, will they, what kind of career will they have? And you begin to think because there's so much potential wrapped up in that little baby blanket. What are they going to be? Now just imagine that precious little one is born under a death sentence. Because that's exactly where we are today. A child born under a death sentence. And we're going to look at that. But let's begin by praying. Lord God, open your word to us. Open us to your word. You have a message for us. You have a truth that will transform us. We need ears that can hear. We need hearts that can receive. We need, Lord, a spirit that is willing to be molded and shaped by your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, here we are, about to open in the book of Exodus and read here in chapter 2. We recognize, Father, that this thing's happened a long time time ago to a very different people and yet father they are not only true and they not only tell us truth these words are for us today you are still speaking to us through these words and we want to hear what you have to say and adjust to it so we ask for that this morning in Jesus name Amen. All right. We're going to look. Exodus chapter two, as I mentioned. We'll begin in verse one, and we're just going to read the first four verses as we start together. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd love for you to open them up and follow with us in this series. You may want to mark it or indicate it in some way as underline, highlight. Uh, I'm not a big highlighter because you know you got to get the right highlighter or it bleeds through on the other side. I'm a big underliner with pencil and a and a, a, a note taker in the margins, tiny notes, unless you have one of those Bibles. It's a journaling Bible, which you can get anyway. Uh, if you do not have a copy of God's word and you would like to have a copy of God's word, we have one for you at our welcome center. And we would love for you to stop by after the service or you can get up now and go get it now. It's, it's right on top. Just pick one up take it with you. We'd love to be able to put a copy of God's word into your hands and feel free to get a pencil or a pen or a marker and mark it up as God continues to speak to you through this. For those of you who are watching at home, or if you'd like, if you don't have your Bibles or electronic device here today, we'll put the words up here on the screen for you. Exodus chapter two, beginning with verse one. Now, a man... From the house of Levi, not Levi's, those are jeans, went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, And when she, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer... She took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Let's pause right there. So we begin this chapter by, with a man and woman. We are not told their names at this point. Now, in chapter 6, we will find out that their names were Amram and Jochebed. Amram was the guy, okay? We learn that a little bit later. Right now, it's really not important to the story that's being communicated. What's important is we have a man and we have a woman. Now, we're told a detail that is important that both of them were from the house of, or the tribe of Levi. Now, that's not probably telling you a lot, and you're picturing that red patch on blue jeans, I understand. But let me tell you who Levi is. Levi is one of Jacob's sons. We find this in Genesis. We also find it right here at the beginning of Exodus. He is one of Jacob's sons. And to kind of rewind the clock, if you'll remember... There was a, a, a severe famine. Well, before that, there's Jacob, one of Jacob's sons was Joseph. Joseph was, I don't know if you call him a brat, but he was kind of, you know, Joseph really, he really didn't, uh, his brothers didn't like him. You can put the rest of it. And in fact, they were going to kill him. But instead, they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to to sell him into slavery. He actually ended up in Egypt, of all places. And through this weird set of circumstances that you just got to go back and read for yourself, he ends up being second in command, kind of the prime minister next to the Pharaoh himself. Pharaoh basically said, you have my authority. You tell people what to do, they just have to do it. And because of this and because God had spoken to him about a dream that Pharaoh had had, he ended up saving the nation of Egypt from a seven-year famine, a drought, seven years, not being able to grow food. Can you imagine? He ended up saving them, empowering the nation because of it, because they were ready for it, and saving hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of other people. But that was a long time ago. A long time ago. Now, Levi was one of the sons. Levi, we'll find out a little bit later, in Exodus 28, the tribe of Levi, they were named by God to be the priests. And Aaron, who was... The brother of, of the child we're going to read about in here in a minute uh, Aaron and his sons would be the, the priests Over the tabernacle when it was built later in the temple So the, they're the Levites So this is a priestly family They just don't know it yet So it's kind of a preview of coming attractions And so we have these two, two people A man and a woman Both from the tribe of Levi They come together They get married And it says that they conceived and they had a son. They don't tell us the son's name. I'll give you a hint. It's Moses. We're going to read a lot about Moses in this book. They had a son. And then it said she hid him for three months. Now, what in the world is this all about? Why would she hide her child for three months? You remember the death sentence I mentioned earlier? Okay, we want to go back to that because that's what this is all about. If you are with us last week, you know about it. If you know the story, you know about it. If you don't know about it, let me tell you really quickly. This Joseph that I talked about a little bit earlier. Well, this is like 350, 380 years hence. I mean, a long time ago when all that happened. And a new Pharaoh, probably a new dynasty, came to rule in Egypt that had no recollection of what Joseph had done and his family had done to save them. Because you see, the Pharaoh then had told Joseph, listen, pick out some prime real estate, and you move your family here, and I'm going to just give you that land. You guys just lived there, and they prospered, and they grew. There were only 70 of them that came, but they produced like crazy over four centuries. And the land was just full of them, is what we read last week. It was just Hebrew people everywhere. So there's a big group of them. And this Pharaoh, who didn't have this long view of history, he looked at them and said, you know what, I don't see them as a blessing, I see them as a threat. And we need to find a way to wipe them out. And so what he does is he begins by uh, putting a heavy labor, a heavy burden on them. Thinking that, you know, they'll be too busy to reproduce here. They, you know, they'll just be working long days. And that didn't work. They kept producing. So he makes the entire nation his slaves. Thinking, okay, this will do it. No, that didn't work at all. So he said, okay, we're going to take drastic measures here. And so he recruited the, he brought in the Hebrew midwives. And he said, listen, here's what I want you to do. When you show up to help birth these babies... When you show up, if it's a if it's a girl, let her live. If it's a boy, you kill him. That's pretty cruel. And the midwives wouldn't do it. And so he said, Okay, I'll take this next step. And he, he basically deputized everybody. All his, all the Egyptians. And, and would use his army, and he said, basically, round up Egyptian baby boys and throw them into the Nile River to drown. It, evil is right, utter evil. Now, this is the circumstance into which this baby, not yet named here in the passage, was born. And that's why I said that he was born under a death sentence. So now you have the circumstances. And now you can understand why a mama would want to hide her baby. Here's the thing about babies. You might keep them quiet for a little while. But there comes a time when there's no hiding the fact that there's a baby in the house. And so they did everything they could for about three months. And they finally said, okay, we, we, we can't hide this any longer. And so it says that, that and I'm sure this was a family plan, but, but the mother, she got a basket and she covered it with um, bitumen. Basically, she waterproofed the basket. And then she took this basket and put her baby in this basket and placed it in the river among the reeds, it says, and left the sister that we'll later learn is Miriam, and she'll play a big part in this story as well, placed the sister there to kind of keep watch to make sure nothing happened. Now, the question that always comes to mind is, why did she do this? What was her rationale for doing this well I'll tell you what in order for us to do this let's let's look let's look at these next verses and then i'll come back and and, and tell you why she might have done it verse 5 it says got to get the next page if I'm going to do that It says, now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. And while her young women walked beside the river, while her young women walked beside the river, that are her tendons, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant women, and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. And she took pity on him and said, this is one Of the Hebrews children okay now now we want to go back and say why did she put this basket in the river and you go well I think I know the answer let me give you there are three possibilities here that I I, there may be more but let me just give you three possibilities one is that she took this basket with her baby in it by the way it's very interesting that this word basket is the word in Hebrew, teva, and probably pronounced teva. And and when you look at that word, you only find it one other place in the Old Testament, and that is the Ark of Noah. Interesting. Same word. Because you've got one author for this. So she takes this basket, she puts it in the river. So she may have been putting it in the river and just taking the child down and saying, okay, Lord, you know best, Um, you know, I'm going to trust you with this and set him afloat in the river to float down the river with a prayer that, God, please let this basket find somebody who will take care of my baby. Basically just kind of letting go of the child and, and trusting God to take it where it needs to go. That's one way to think of it another way to think of it is we just see the princess is coming down to bathe at the river it's a sacred river for them the nile she's coming down to bathe at the river and her attendants are coming with her it could be that she said you know what i'll set her up i'll put this baby out there and she'll probably she'll probably take this baby and and so maybe i can just i just kind of set the circumstances up in order for uh that princess to take my baby and raise my baby for me. Or maybe one of the attendants, but at least give him, give him a chance to survive. Well, the problem with that is you've got to remember, she had no guarantee this was going to happen. She had no guarantee that the basket was going to be seen. She had no guarantee that she had no guarantee that the princess wouldn't look at it and go, okay, my dad said you've got to drown all these things, dunk. She had no guarantee of that. I tend to think and again this is my interpretation so don't don't you know I'm not trying to tell you what the scripture says you read what it says I tend to think she was still hiding her baby I don't know that she had a long term plan that basically she took the baby and put the baby among the reeds which means she didn't set it out where it could drift down the river she put it in a place where it would be secured and wouldn't move but would still be waterproof. She had her older, her daughter, who was obviously older than the baby, had the daughter there to watch, to see what would happen. And probably to hear when the baby cried and to try to comfort the baby and to alert the mom to come and to nurse the baby. I'm not sure there was a long-term plan it could perhaps be that she was simply trying to save her baby one more day. Just trying to get through today. And we'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. You know, God will provide something tomorrow. I just want to get through today. Now, we don't know which of those is true. I tend to go with the, the last one, but, but you, can, you can come down where you want on that. But here's the thing. Even if she didn't have a long-term plan, God did. And this is what we see. And so we see the Pharaoh's daughter, the, the king's daughter comes and she, she, from her perspective in the water, remember it's hidden from land, she's in the water, she's able to see, hey there's something over there that doesn't need to be over there. She, she sends her attendants, they go in and get it, bring it to her, she opens it up and lo and behold there's a baby in the basket and she recognizes that he's a Hebrew baby And he's crying. And the tenderness of her heart. Reaches out to that child. And instead of being hard hearted. As her father was. Towards these Hebrew babies. She was tender hearted towards this baby. So let's pick up and read then in verse 7. Find out what happens. Verse seven, it says, then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother, her own mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me. And I will give you your wages. And so the woman took the child and nursed him, and when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, and she named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of the water. So now she's got this crying baby, and all these attendants around, and you know, the baby's hungry, it's pretty easy to recognize, hungry baby, can't can't tickle it, can't do anything to make it happy. Must be hungry, okay? And she's like, well, I can't do this. Uh, I'm, I, I, I can't nurse this child. I got nothing to give here. She looks at her attendant and say, any of you out here can help? Nope, no, we can't help. N- the sister pops up. Wow, wasn't it just a wild coincidence she happened to be around? Sister comes in and says, uh, I got an idea. I happen to know somebody who could nurse that baby. And she said, well, go get her. And she comes back and brings back the boy's mama. The mother. And the princess says to her, um, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this baby. I want you to nurse this baby. Now that baby is under protection from the royal family. The same family trying to kill it under protection take this baby you nurse this baby and in fact i'll pay you to do it man how god flipped the tables on that one didn't he i'm going to pay you to stay home and nurse your own baby and some of your mamas are going yes how do i get that deal well here we have just uh, just an absolute (laughs) flipping over the tables now did The princes suspect that this might be, I mean, it's a little too convenient, right? That this could be the baby's mama, maybe. But if she does, she doesn't let on and she doesn't put up a fuss about it. She takes, she lets the baby go home. She nurses it. I'm sure there was connection between them for the time period that she was there, maybe three or four years that she would have nursed. That would be typical And so the Nile River, the place that should have been a place of death for Moses, becomes a source of deliverance. The king had pronounced a death sentence on this little baby, but God used that king's own daughter as an agent of mercy. As Jacob's sons had learned many, many, many years before, what people intend for evil, God has a way of turning it to good. A lesson which many of us need to remember today when we are frantic and hopeless. So when the child grew older, verse 10, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter three or four years later, and he became her son. And she named him Moses because she drew him out of the water. Pharaoh's daughter adopted into Pharaoh's household, adopted this little boy, and she named him Moses. Now, Why did she name him Moses? Because there's some debate as to whether this is a Hebrew name or an Egyptian name. And the thing about it is, it could actually work either way. Because Moses, she could have said to her, to the boy's mother and said, uh, you know, what, what, what is the Hebrew word meaning to draw out? And she would have said, Moses. Okay, that's what I'm going to name the child. Moshe. That's what I'm going to name the child. Or she could have said, what have you been calling him? After all, he's three plus years old here. What have you been calling him? Well, that sounds good. I'll call him that. But in Egyptian, this this word, Moses or Moshe would have... Uh, we see it other places for instance um the um the pharaoh named tutmos it means son of tut Ramos means son of ram so maybe it could be that this person we know as moses had a had a, an egyptian name that never gets put in here and after he, after he, and oh, I don't want to ruin the story for you. It's going to come a time when he leaves his mama and leaves Egypt. And he may have dropped that entirely. So we're really not sure, but we do know that he is Moses. And Moses makes a big impact on the story of our faith. Either way, Moses is going to grow up now and he's going to spend his a bulk of his life a third of his life he is going to spend as an Egyptian and he was going to get the best education he could pot- that was provided now the Egyptians were known for math and science they were known for all kinds of things for, for making mummies they were known for walking like an Egyptian he learned all those things He would have been trained in the art of war. As a matter of fact, the Jewish historian Josephus says that it was Moses who led the forces of Egypt to defeat the Ethiopians. He would have learned the art of war. He would have learned what it meant to lead other people. He would have learned all these things. Moses was equipped, Josephus says, to be the next Pharaoh. But what they didn't realize is that God was using them to equip him to lead his people. Again, God's got a plan. And he's working out his plan. Even when we can't see it. Even when we can't feel it. So let me give you just... Two truths from this as we land this plane this morning. The first is this. God's plan, God's plans are never thwarted by the devil's schemes. The devil never gets the upper hand on God, ever. He never wins. Uh, In my house, we play board games every once in a while, and uh, there's a game that we play. Anybody ever play Sorry? You know that game? Okay, where you, you know, they've messed it up now. They mess up a lot of games. They've added weird cards in there. But anyway, so, you know, so you play sorry and you do all this. And, and the, the objective is to get all your little pieces to the home and then you win. And so when we play that game, we pull it out and I'm going, oh boy, I'm never lost. Never lost. Well, Nancy's sitting up here at the front and she would tell you, that is not entirely true I have lost it sorry I probably lost more times than I've won but I get such delight in just saying you know I've never lost i have never lost here's the deal with God he's never lost and he's not lying about it he's not even exaggerating a little bit he's never lost once see that cross That cross, that empty cross reminds us that when the devil thought he'd won his greatest victory by nailing the Son of God to a cross of wood, God had another plan that included the cross. And the devil was utterly clueless. Listen, folks, you need to know this. I know you're coming up against a lot in your life, but God's plans are never, God's plans are never, God's plans are never thwarted by the devil's schemes. He knows what he's doing and we can trust him. The second truth is simply this. When we choose to follow God's plan, it brings both blessing and sacrifice. Ooh. I like the first part, don't don't you? It brings blessing. When we choose to follow God's plan, it brings blessing. But it also brings sacrifice. Think about this story, just this story. You can figure out all kinds of other Bible stories, but just this story. god did bless that family and he ended up blessing the hebrew nation and he ended up blessing us through what he did here but there was sacrifice mama had to let that baby go now i'm a dad and i know that moms have a connection that dads just can't have They gave birth to that child. They nursed that child. They probably did most of the changing of that child. They wept over that child and prayed over that child. And I know how hard it was to let a college-age daughter go. And I know the tears that Nancy cried as we drove back from Birmingham, Alabama. But to let a three-year-old, little baby that you've nursed and brought up and loved and told stories to and rocked in your arms and taught to crawl and taught to walk and taught to talk and to say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you with this precious little boy that you gave us. This little boy that you saved. I'm going to give him to you. Because I believe that what your plan for him is, is greater than what my plan could ever be. Yes, when we follow God, it does bring blessing. No doubt. But folks, don't think it's not without sacrifice. Jesus said, anyone who wants to come to me must deny himself, put himself on the back burner. Take up your cross. Die to sin and self. Then follow. Count the cost, he says. Today I want to I want to call upon you. Some of you have taken this Christianity thing pretty lightly. Yeah, you said a prayer, they dunked you under the water, put your name on the church roll, may have stuck your picture up on the board. But you're thinking, okay, well, that's it. I'm in. Got my ticket. Do some of you today need to come and say, you know what, I I never truly surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, and I'm not about to stay and to leave this place without doing it today. Or there's some of you here today that say, you know what, I, I, I know my commitment to Jesus was genuine, I believe my name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and, and I have every confidence in this, but I just wandered away, and I've... I've lived this life the way I want to live it. I haven't lived it following Jesus. I've lived it following me. And I've made a mess. And I'm ready to come today to not only receive the blessings God has for me for following him, but to take up the cross and to, to, to endure the sacrifice that it means to follow Jesus. And you may just want to come and Pray. You can kneel down here at this altar by yourself. You, we'll have a, 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 a couples over here, a man and a woman on either side, who are here to pray for you today. They're here to pray with you, to pray over you today. You just come. You don't have to tell them what it is. Just say, I need you to pray for me, and they'll pray for you. If you need to come and have someone pray over you. If you need a church home, you go, you know, I'm tired of doing this on my own. I need a place to belong, a place to connect. If God's saying grace is it, then then we want to invite you to come. And if you simply need to pray, to pour it all out before God, and say, God, thank you for being gracious and merciful, for having a plan for my life that's bigger and better than my plan, and I trust you. Wherever you lead, that's where I'm going to go. That's where I'm, I'm following you. And listen, I'll let you know if you're at home today and you want to respond in some way, you can always let us know through an email by sending us to mynextsteps at gracefellowship.ws or, or you can text the name Jesus to 706-703-4477. You can do that here today if you'd like. And we'll follow up with you. We also, we'd, we'd love to, if you want to come and just share with us today. We'd love to receive you and pray for you today and encourage you in whatever we want.